0: Hey, um, good morning, everyone. The reading this morning is from Matthew 18, 21 to 35. There'll be some sheets at the end of your pews, so you want to pass those along, and then you can follow as I read. So, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So. I don't know whether any of you have ever been a bridesmaid or a best man at a wedding. I am currently a bridesmaid for a really good friend who's getting married in September. And it seems to me that one of the main parts of being a bridesmaid is organizing the hen party. Now, organizing the hen party basically means that you book all the activities, that you plan everything, you book all the activities, then you pay for it all. And then you email all the bride's other friends and tell them how much they have to pay in order to take part. And so, in the last few months, as a bridesmaid, I have been a bit like the man in the story. Lots of people have owed me money. And I can tell you something. I was going to get our money back. I wasn't cancelling the debt. I was working out. I did get all the money back, or I probably wouldn't be telling this story. But... um, (laughs) But if I hadn't, I was working out how I was going to politely remind people that they owed me money. Cancelling debts is not easy. It does not come naturally to us. But in this passage, Jesus likens cancelling debts to forgiving sins. The passage this morning is all about forgiveness. In the passage... The king wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And one man owed the king 10,000 bags of gold. Now that is a lot of gold. And the king and the servant would have needed to sell his wife, his children, everything he had in order to pay that debt. The same servant, but he pleads with the king and the servant and the king wipes the debt and then that same servant went out and when he was owed money by another servant he grabbed him by the neck and demanded the money didn't show the same mercy he refused to wipe his fellow servant's debt And then the king calls that servant in and tells him in verse 33, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? The master then withdraws his mercy and sends the servant to jail. So the message of the passage is that God has forgiven us and we need to forgive others. As forgiven people, we forgive others. As Christians, we forgive because God has forgiven us. The king in the story represents God. The servant represents us. And as God does not have a limit in forgiving us, so we are not to limit our forgiveness of others. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable, because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. The Christian message is all about forgiveness. Our relationship with a holy and perfect and just God is broken because of our sin and our failures. But God sent his only son to die and to rise again so that that relationship with God can be restored. God forgives us, And the passage shows us that it's as a result of God forgiving us that we forgive others. Forgiven people forgive. So Rowan Williams, who's the former Archbishop of Canterbury, recently said this, that as Christians, we look at our failures not with despair, but with hope. As Christians, we don't claim to be particularly good people, but we know that we are forgiven people. And it's from knowing the extent to which God has forgiven us, the sacrifice he made to forgive us, that we are able, with his strength, to forgive others. We have hope because we know that our sins, our failures, are forgiven because God in Jesus came to earth as a man and died on the cross. So the point of the passage is that forgiveness is a command. It's not an optional part of being a Christian. It's not, well, it depends on how bad the offence is or it depends whether somebody I love has been hurt. God forgives me and he commands me to forgive others. Jesus is asked at the start of the passage, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And he answers, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. This means endlessly. God forgives us endlessly, and we need to forgive in the same way, with no limit. In fact, at the end of the passage, Jesus says that in order to be forgiven, we need to forgive. It's quite challenging, isn't it? Um, Tom Wright, the theologian, says that forgiveness is like air in your lungs. There's only room for you to inhale the next lungful when you've just breathed out the previous one. If you insist on withholding forgiveness, you won't be able to take any more yourself and you will suffocate. If your heart is open, able, and willing to forgive others, it will also be open to receive God's love and forgiveness. Forgiving others demonstrates that we understand what God has done for us. It's like a cycle. He forgives us, we forgive. He forgives us, we forgive. And Tom Wright says this, every time you forgive someone else, you pass on a drop of water from the bucket full that God has given you. The command in the passage is to forgive because he has forgiven Notice the difference in the passage between the servant who owed the king 10,000 bags of gold um, and the servant who was owed himself 100 silver coins. Now, I'm no expert in this exact worth of this money, but it's pretty clear that the debt to the king is more than the debt to the servant. And as we look at the greatness, as we look at the extent of the way in which God has forgiven us, we then forgive others. Forgiven people forgive. Jesus does not say that forgiveness is easy, but he does command us to do it. So, what does it mean to forgive people who wrong us, even when um, it feels too difficult? Forgiveness in the passage means wiping, means wiping the debt completely. It means acknowledging there is a debt and then choosing to remove it. So I have borrowed slash stolen this little whiteboard from school. I'm a teacher over the summer holidays. And if I write the word debt on it, I'd like you to imagine that's the offense you need to forgive. And what we're to do often is to hide it, to hold on to it, but to hide it, or to put it over there and pretend we've forgotten it, but actually we know it's still there and we haven't forgotten it. Or we might bury it and other things. Woo! <laughs> bury it under other things and pretend it's not there. I'm not used to these things. Put it in my pocket. And pretend it's not there. But what God asks us to do and what He has done for us, is he takes the debt. We acknowledge the offence. We acknowledge that we have been wronged. He acknowledges that we have wronged. yeah. And we acknowledge that others have wronged us. And then, we don't pretend it's not there. We don't hide it. We completely wipe it away. So it's gone. I imagine that some of you are thinking about some really difficult things that you have to forgive. And the message this morning is not, don't worry, it's too hard. The message is that the God who loves you, loves me, and forgives us, knows how hard it is to forgive. And he draws alongside you and me, and helps us, and walks with us as we choose to forgive. I want to tell you now quite a long story about someone who had to forgive some really awful things. This is about a lady called Corrie Ten Boom who, along with her sister Betsy, um, had been arrested for concealing Jews in their home um, during the Nazi occupation of Holland in World War II. They were taken to Ravensbrück concentration camp where Betsy died. Corrie survived, and then she spent much of her life speaking and writing about her Christian faith. This is the story of her experience meeting one of the guards who had supervised her and her sister um, in Ravensbrück a few years earlier. So Corrie was talking to a group of people in defeated Germany in 1947 about forgiveness, a time and a place when people were very aware of the wrongs that had been done to them, of the wrongs they had done, the crimes that brought shame on individuals, shame on a whole society. And this is what Corrie said about her experience in her book. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy set man in a grey overcoat, a brown fletched, um, felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. When we confess our sins, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There there were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected their wraps, in silence left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the centre of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein, how good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again and again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that the message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God but as a daily experience. Since at the end of the war I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality, those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with a coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that Mitch. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joint hands, and then his This healing warmth seemed to flood my whole body, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. So, if you are choosing to follow Jesus, if you choose to follow Jesus, if you trust that Jesus forgives you, Forgiving others, however hard that may be, is not an option. It's a command. But the good news is we don't have to be almost superhuman. We don't forgive in our own strength. Corrie Ten Boom did not forgive that God in her own strength. She knew what God commanded. She lifted her hand. That's what she did. And the power of God at work in her enabled her to forgive And she benefited so much from choosing to forgive. She knew God's power at work in her. She was set free from the bitterness. And that possibility of knowing God at work in us, of being set free from bitterness, is available to each one of us. So you may be thinking now about somebody you want to forgive. And do come forward for prayer in a moment if that is the case. But we're going to pray, too, that God would bring to our minds people that, we want, that he wants us to forgive. Maybe some of the hurts will be deeply hidden. Maybe we've put them one side or we've held on to them. But we'll pray that um, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will bring to mind people. And then we, all we do is we step forward, we choose to forgive. And God at work in us, the Holy Spirit at work in us, enables us to forgive. And the message of this passage is for our benefit too. Because holding on to and burying the unforgiveness causes us to get bitter. Acknowledging the hurt, forgiving it, sets us free. Now the truth is, we all need to forgive and to be forgiven on a daily basis. So we could all really come forward for prayer this morning. But I would encourage you to come forward if it feels significant for you this morning either you want to ask God to forgive you or you know there's somebody that you want to forgive and by stepping forward you're saying I choose to forgive you won't need to say who it is or what it is just step forward as Corrie Ten Boom lifted her arm I encourage you to step forward to say I choose to forgive you don't need to feel able You just need to choose to do it. So let's pray that God would bring to mind people that we need to forgive. Lord Jesus, thank you that you forgive us. Thank you for your death on the cross and that you paid the price for our failures. Come, Holy Spirit, and bring to mind the unforgiveness that we are holding on to, the people that we need to forgive. Help us, Lord, to let go. Help us to choose to forgive. Amen.